This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Grasso with the Indie Spirituals podcast on the Be Here Now Network. And my guest today is Spring Washam. Spring, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm excited to chat with you. As am I. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while. So before we jump into the conversation, uh, I'm going to read your bio for any of the listeners not familiar with your work. And uh, then we're just going to jump right into things. So uh, Spring Washam is a well-known meditation teacher based in California, founding teacher of the East Bay Meditation Center, and founder of Lotus Vine Journeys. Spring is a pioneer in bringing mindfulness-based healing practices to diverse communities. She's author of A Fierce Heart, Finding Strength, Courage, and Wisdom in Any Moment, recently released by Hay House. Her new book provides valuable and inspiring information on moving forward through challenges and taking the wise road, as she would say. You can find more about Spring at Spring Washam, that's W-A-S as in Sam, H-A-M dot com, backslash book, or uh, lotusvinejourneys.com. If you are listening to this on the Be Here Now website, uh, please just scroll down. The links for Spring's information is there. Her book is there. Um, Anything you could need is all just a click away. So again, Spring, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me. Yeah, happy to be here with you. Appreciate it. So your book, A Fierce Heart, as mentioned, was recently published with Hay House and um, features a, a really nice forward by um, a friend Jack Cornfield, who is a w- incredible teacher, and immediately I was touched by the very lovely uh, endorsement that Alice Walker had written for you. Uh, that's on the cover of the book, and you know, it's just really a um, what a tremendous story and read and sharing of the heart, and it's filled with practices and w- so much wisdom and insight. We could go a million different directions, but the one way I do typically like to start my conversations is to give the audience a little bit of background, um, about the guest. Um, so I, you know, I know that you grew up in, on the West coast in California and you were in, grew up in an apartment complex in Bellflower, which was a low income neighborhood, um, 
kind of right in between Compton and Long Beach. Um, two areas I'm personally familiar with through a lot of the music I grew up listening to as a teenager, but you were there <laughs> living in that. Um, so I was wondering if you could walk us through that experience because, uh, you know, a lot of my listeners know that area and know, you know, what what it was like, or at least have read stories or heard the songs, but I'm guessing some of the other Be Here Now crowd might not be so familiar with that. So if you don't mind sharing a little bit what it was like growing up um, in that environment and ultimately um, what led you from that to becoming a, a mindfulness meditation teacher? Yeah. So people do when they think of East Long Beach, I know it's, it could be a generational thing, but they might think of hip hop and rappers and yeah. Snoop Dogg and <laughs> right. Tupac Shakur Dre, and all that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think for me, as I grew up, it was it was um, it was something that was really challenging in a lot of ways because I was so sensitive yeah. and I was already noticing the suffering around me, yeah. you know, the violence and addiction and broken families and so many emotional people yeah. around me. So I was very observant, like what is happening? What is causing this? And of course, you know, when you grow up in areas like that, you, you get hurt by the violence around you, yeah. you know, and as a teenager and I was in South Central Los Angeles, just right in the height of all of the gang violence. Yeah. And it's really amazing. Things have calmed down a lot. Um, but it was like right in the midst of all that. And so, of course, you know, you you learn from that and you learn through the traumas of experiencing that. So um, in some way, I think that fueled my interest and also motivated me to try to understand you know, why is this happening? Why are people so hurt? Why, why are people so um, traumatized? Why are they, they doing these things to each other and then things are done to them? So in some way, it was kind of the perfect uh, opportunity, even though I wouldn't wish it on people. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, I wish I, sometimes I, you know, wish things would have been easier, but, in, but life isn't a fairy tale, right. you know? For many of us. So I learned a lot from that. And that kind of, you know, I write about my first chapter in my book, Blooming in the Mud. Right. Um, those were the perfect fertile grounds in a way uh, to kind of develop an independence and a strength in myself. So I look back now with gratitude, even though, wow, I'm glad those days are gone. Yeah. Uh, but I can see where it, I kind of forged uh, a depth and, a, and an understanding and a realism, sure. you know, about life through yeah. those. I was just going to say, I mean, I, that I, I couldn't relate more on a completely different level, um, or a different scenario, but, um, I resonate immediately when you said you, you were very sensitive at a young age. I think in your book, you'd mentioned, I think you're around five, uh, when you recognize for the first time this is going to be a, a tough life or I, I don't mean to misquote you, but something to that verbatim. And that really mm. stuck out to me because I was maybe a little like six, seven, eight, but um, I've always been very sensitive as well. And that ultimately led me down the path of uh, drug and alcohol addiction. And um, I look back at those very near death experiences I've had 
and that I also wouldn't wish upon anyone, but I see now how they led me to where I am today and to be, you know, in the position of service that I am and to be able to give back and very much, you know, that again, two different scenarios, but pain is pain and suffering is suffering. And then to take that and use that as a fuel um, to inspire yourself to go inward on your own healing journey so that you can share that with others, I think is uh, commendable. And I appreciate that, you know, you do share very candidly in the book about growing up and in that environment and the effect it had on you. And um, the one thing I don't recall was, um, I'm sure you were there during, or I believe you were there during the Rodney King verdict. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you, what was your experience? Because, you know, here we are, I am from the East Coast and, you know, we're watching this just travesty of justice happen. And um, where were you and what what was that like for you? I know you spoke to just seeing the, the suffering around, but that's something I think any listener is familiar with and can relate to. What was your experience of, of that event and where were you on your path towards um any sort of mindfulness or meditation or was it just another thing that added to you you know journeying in that direction yeah I think at that time I was around 17 or 18 so not very old and I was a few miles away from the epicenter of that whole you know like where it sparked out in south central um but I knew the area well so it was interesting to see you know Florence and Normandy these neighborhoods that I was very familiar with but I was a couple miles away closer to the ocean yeah um but again, you know, it was, I wasn't surprised because it was the whole area was just like, you know, there's this trigger point yeah. that you felt like it was, something was heading towards something, you know, there was so much violence, so much pain. It was like, how is this going to, you know, explode? And I, I wasn't really that surprised, but the whole the whole incident, I think, for the country was just another wake-up call. Yeah. I mean, that was like another turning point, right? It was another moment in time. And we've been having these moments in time similar um, uh, to that, like, oh, you yeah. know, just different shootings. And so the whole thing just really brings up, you know, violence, racism, um, and the grind of urban poverty, you know, and the emotions in communities around injustice. So, so there's similarities, you know, whether it's the Black Lives Matter movement or um, there's similar feelings that, you know, this stuff is coming around again. It's yeah, been yeah. coming around again. So, so it's just, again, holding that complexity. Yeah, it, very well said. It, you know, obviously with... Um not to get political, but with the elections in 2017 and, um, uh, or was it 20, whenever it was, whenever 45 took (laughs) office, you know, um, it's still surreal to me, but to, to see that it was still there, um, it was just, I don't know if dormant, it is exactly the right word, but to know that these things were still, um, under, you know, under the wood or under the rock, so to speak yet, you know, now the floodgates have opened Mm. up again and, um, and here we are finding ourselves in this very tumultuous time. Um, so, you know, like I said earlier, it's a 
quite a time to be in a, in a role such as yourself <laughs> where you're out there trying to help others heal and make peace um you know start within and and work without so um you know you, moving on to your actual engaging and interest in mindfulness and meditation i know you talk about in the book uh you share a story about the first retreat you went on you were the only person of color and the youngest by three decades. Um, I relate in the sense, not um, color-wise, because I'm Caucasian, but I'm tattooed like head to toe, basically. Most of the people when I first started about 20 years ago were similarly like, you know, decades older than I was. Um, Ram Das was a, and is like a root teacher for me and um, others. Mm. But so if you could share a bit about leading up to that retreat, um, if you, if you, can talk about where was the turning point that you knew like I I, I want to explore this you know what was what was your gateway into the mindfulness and meditation and then what led you to that retreat yeah I think for all of us you know this path of where we start in our community is really is really interesting how we you know what what how we begin yeah um so as a teenager I got really interested in psychology trying to diagnose myself. Sure. So I had been very interested in that. I started going to a church in Los Angeles called Agape. Yep. Um, where I was learning with Reverend Michael Beckwith about meditation and about the mind. Yeah. Because I did have this sense very early on, even at five years old, there's something with the mind here. And I kept thinking, I know I have a thinking problem. I know mm -hmm. it. I know it's there is the outside, but there's also this mind thing and there's a way that the thought processes. So I really was interested. And so I got interested in meditation and I started off um, studying at Self-Realization Fellowship, Paramahasa Yogananda, who wrote Autobiography of a Yogi. So many people have uh, either, you know, were introduced to some aspect of their path, maybe through that, right. that book or his writings and teachings. But when I would go to that, that community, they never gave me any meditation instruction. And right. so I was lost. You know, I'd be just sitting there for hours and they'd say, just love God. I'd be like, well, I'm trying, <laughs> you know, but my mind is, you know, psychotic right now. I can't, I can't do this, right? I'm not feeling it. You know, maybe after three hours, I'd feel a little more peaceful, but I started to feel like I wasn't getting anywhere. Like, sure. I don't know if this is meditation. Right. So I was really lucky. I heard about um, a 10-day retreat in the desert in Yucca Valley in Southern California. I heard about a 10-day retreat, and I didn't know who led it, but somebody said, oh, they teach you how to meditate, mm -hmm. and it's vegetarian food, and you're in silence. And I was like, I know if I get to that retreat, everything will make sense. I need someone to help me with my mind. And of course, you know, when you're on the in a moment of a catalyst, yeah. the bottom usually falls out. And oh, so yeah. everything leading up to the retreat, I was fired. My partner and I fell apart. My car was about to get repossessed. I was in East Oakland at the time. And um, I somehow managed to get to that retreat. And sure enough, everything made sense. And I didn't even know that Jack Cornfield was leading the retreat. I didn't know who he was. I didn't even know about Buddhism. I didn't you know, at that point, I was heavily identified with more of the Hindu tradition, sure. with mystic tradition, New Thought Church. Um, 
But it was during that 10 days that I felt like, oh my gosh, now I have a path. And it just clicked for me. And I loved the Dharma immediately. And I knew that this was a part of my future. This was it. And I just sort of jumped in wholeheartedly. And I was in my early to maybe mid 20s at that time. Yep. I think I think that's so great. I um I've had the, you know, very good fortune of speaking at a few conferences with um Dr. Beckwith and uh as actually just did out in Phoenix and did one with him uh in July and what a what a lovely lovely gentleman he is. Um mm. really enjoy him and I too um I've never been to the self-realization um actual facility but I was a student for a while I even signed up for those uh the lessons <laughs> the in kriya classes, yoga yeah. <laughs> yeah so I like I would get them in the mail and similar like I did everything and I was like I don't but I don't understand like it I wasn't <laughs> feeling that change and uh and still like I, I draw from all of I think the the mystic elements of the great wisdom traditions I find a a real beautiful similarity and say something that Meister Eckhart might say from the Christian tradition to something Thich Nhat Hanh could say, you know, and, and to me, yes. it's, mm. it, it's so interesting. It's like, wow, I'm reading a mystic Christian text, but it's essentially talking about emptiness um, from a Buddhist perspective, if I were to look at it like that. And um, I love that crossover. So anyways, you get to this retreat and Jack's leading it, who obviously you, you now know is, you know, a very, um, in the spirituality world, a very famous teacher and very well known and renowned and respected. Um, he's had a very deep impact personally on my path. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but as he mentioned, you know, you're you're the only person of color there. You're you're so much younger than everyone else. Um, but then you just shared, you know, like immediately, I knew like the Dharma. It clicked. So. Was there like, did you feel any kind of hurdle you needed to get over? Um, in regards to your your physical, you know, your body, um, you know, your humanness there, or did it just like wash away once uh, Jack started teaching and the meditation started to take place? Yeah, that's a great question. I think at the time I noticed the community didn't really reflect my colorful world. Yes. <laughs> you know, I I saw that right away. But at the time, I was so desperate. You know, I was like in an amp spiritual ambulance, yeah. you know, I almost collapsed, you know, on the table when I was registering, like, I need help. Like, yeah. I don't know what's going on. Right. <laughs> and so they were like, OK, OK, we, 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 we gotcha. And so at the time, I didn't notice as much of the external. I mean, I noticed, but it didn't bother me. I was so internal. I was just absorbing the teaching so deeply and practicing. And I, I was really lucky. I magically, I wound up on Jack's interview list by accident. Nobody knows how that happened, but of course, you know, there's always a greater, there's a greater mystery always. So, um, so then after that became more of a challenge because I really committed to this is my life. And I started going on years of long retreats. I immediately signed up for three retreat and then other 10 day retreats. And, and I really committed and it was within a couple of years that I thought, you know, because I'm the only person, my faith started to wane. Like, I don't know if I can keep going with this, with this community, which I know that, um, 
nobody was doing anything to me. It wasn't that I felt there was racism or ageism directed at me. It was that I didn't see myself reflected anywhere. And then that began to kind of take a toll on my heart in a really powerful way. Suffering began to arise there. Right. And so what did you do with that when that experience of suffering began to arise? How And and we are going to get to your book. I think this is all segueing um, into it. Um, But so what did you and and this is also shared in the book, too. But, you know, how Mm. how did you meet that? Because at this point, um, you're not at the point you are now where you're a teacher. You know, you're still newer and and learning. Um, How how were you able to work your way through that? Well, I think a few reasons or a few things kind of led to uh, a motivation to create a a community. And so what I started to think about was that at that time I had moved to Oakland closer to Spirit Rock. I got enrolled in one of their two year training programs, uh, the community Dharma leader training program. And it was before that training that I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to create a community in Oakland where I live. (laughs) And that motivation became such a powerful force inside. And I was really to help heal myself. Like I want a community that reflects this, this urban landscape, you know, diverse people, LGBTQ, the tattoo community, the uh, transgender community, the, you know, all beings in a way. And so young people, every age. And so I was really excited about that. So the suffering Uh, motivated me to do an act of compassion, which is to help create a community that I felt that I could be so happy to be a part of. Like, you know, I was happy to be a part of the the other community in which I initially trained. Spirit Rock has been my home for years. I'm on the teacher's council there. Um, But there was a call to create something new. And so that was my response, was to, to be a part of building this new community, which fueled my love and it kept me going with the Dharma, you know? Yeah. And I, and I love that. And so we're talking about, um, for listeners, um, the, the center you created, that's called East Bay meditation center. Um, which is, uh, like you said, I, I can, can we get one going here in, in the East coast? Too? Cause you know, like, I, I do a lot of work with teens. Um, a lot of it's based at a residential program here, uh, mental health residential program um, in Connecticut. And I know that there um, were meetings. Um, I don't want to name names, but there was someone else that um, was or is still a Buddhist teacher. Um, but and uh, truth be told, uh, an early inspiration for me because I saw someone that looked like myself and mm-hmm. I was struggling. I was early on in the path. And while I'm reading Ram Das and I'm reading Jack and I'm reading, you know, the other books from different traditions, I was having a hard time finding my place fitting in. And then I came across this work and, um, and that was great. It was helpful. And it was like, okay, I'm not alone. And I would meet other, you know, younger people that were into punk rock and hip hop and, you know, just other out of the box things. And, um, you know, other, like you said, the LGBTQ community, and it was just very inviting and welcoming and felt more natural to me. And, um, unfortunately some of that is dissolved and, um, Mm. you know, we're always in need of, of more facilities. So I, I deeply commend you, um, for creating that, uh, along with, like I said, the work that you're doing. 
And so can you talk a little bit, I guess, about the the center? You know, you talked about the motivation, but if you don't mind sharing about the center and, and how it's grown and um, essentially, I think you kind of shared the mission, but if there's anything <laughs> further, I would I would love uh, to our listeners to learn more about that. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, the center really has evolved. I mean, we, uh, it was a, me and a group of people that got really inspired. Yeah. A lot of us that started, it came out of the community Dharma leader training and we wanted something really accessible. It was really an experiment at yeah. first. It was like, can we create an urban community based on all generosity economics? Yeah. Right. No charges, yeah. nothing really quality Dharma teaching. And uh, anybody could just come in. And it's amazing, you know, almost 14 years later, um, East Bay Meditation Center is really thriving. There's so many programs, teens, youth, um, people of color, LGBT, activists. I mean, everything is really happening there. And so it's kind of evolving. Mm -hmm. So if you're in Oakland, yeah, definitely drop by. There's programs going on all the time. It's just something to see uh, and to be a part of and just feel what a a different kind of sangha can be like when it's very intentional and inclusive. Um, Yeah, it's just it's just, you know, it's been it was a labor of love. And, you know, we have a whole new group of teachers involved. And now I'm kind of like the grandmother in a a funny way, (laughs) you know, as I've stepped a little more out just working on other projects. But that's also part of it. Like the torch is handed down, you know, and new teachers are coming up, new voices. And, you know, so I'm still very connected to it, but not teaching as much there as I used to just because I moved to Southern California. Um, But it's just founded on this idea that what if we opened up something for people all beings and we tried to be really accommodating to that disabled communities non-english speaking communities um and it was a grand experiment and it wasn't easy at times it was really hard i will say it challenged my heart in a certain way yeah you know and it, it forced me to expand and that's what we want. We want to see our biases. We want to expand. We want to not be attached to certain things. But um, but it was beautiful and challenging at times. And yeah. I learned so much. And I, I dedicated the book to that community because, yeah. wow, 10 years of work there, I honed a fierce heart. <laughs> exactly. And yep. speaking of which, uh, thank you for saying that because my next question was, going to be jumping into the book a fierce heart you know and then the subtitle is finding strength courage and wisdom in any moment so i think you already started to answer this but you know why name the book a fierce heart yeah you know i think it has some things to do with how i grew up and how we meet challenges and how we look at difficulties. You know, I collect biographies and I write about this, this biography collection that I have of um, seeing how we can use difficulties to grow. Right. You know, how you used all your experiences growing up, right? right? And your addiction and overcoming it. And don't we just love those stories? Right. I mean, I just love, I love an underdog, you know, yes, like same. everything thrown at you and you persevere. Right. And not only persevere, you grow and thrive. 
and help others. I mean, that that's just the best. That's the hero. Right. And or the heroine. And so I just love um that. And so over time what I would do is in, you know, in Oakland I heard so many stories all the time. I listened to so many stories. I looked into people's faces and I, you know, as I hug them and work with them and we're in evening classes and day longs and I'm meeting with people one on one. I'm hearing all these stories of people overcoming. And the fierce heart is just a heart that can hold, yeah, the beauty of life, but also the heartbreak, right. which many of us experience. This is not just unicorns and, you know, all the time. It's great when that is the case. Yeah. But what about when it's really challenging and there's injustice and people being shot and police violence and um, and death and, and illness? So the fierce heart is like the heart that can hold it all and stay really strong. I I absolutely love that. And I appreciate you also sharing that it isn't all unicorn and rainbows. Um, you know, a lot of people when they step onto the path or start a meditation practice have this, you know, misunderstanding uh, that, all right, I'm going to do this and everything's going to be great and blissful. And um, I mean, I can't speak for anyone but myself, but um, I've certainly had those absolutely wonderful transparent experiences and uh not transparent i'm sorry um transcendental uh which are lovely (laughs) but i've also had those like wow you know like i'm in a nightmare these things are coming up that you know that meditation's opening those floodgates of um just stuff i've repressed and suppressed and um so it's you know it's beautiful and terrifying and uh but in a, a very fulfilling and embodying sort of manner. Um, so I appreciate that you share that because um, I always try to tell people when they're new, it's like, that's wonderful and, and not in a scare you off sort of way, but just make sure you're prepared. You know, this, if, if, mm-hmm. if you're going to take a step, you know, it's, it's not an easy path. I think it was Trungpa Rinpoche who said it's better to not start at all. But if you do start, you have to go all the way, something <laughs> to that effect. Um, and yes, at times I, I wish I had taken his advice and, and not started at all. But, um, you know, that's only <laughs> I say that half jokingly because I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm, I'm very grateful. Um, so you talk about like the subtitle, Finding Strength, Courage and Wisdom in Any Moment. Um, you know, not only what I love is in this book, you do share about um, your own journey. You share about things you've taken away you share others uh stories lots of just beautiful quotes and inspirations um is there a speaking of like finding strength courage and wisdom in any moment is there something say someone's listening and they've been on the fence about stepping onto the quote-unquote path of mindfulness and meditation is there like a, a very beginner's practice or not even a practice or you know something simple that you that someone listening right now that could begin doing today to find that strength courage and wisdom within themselves literally in any moment yeah i mean i think for a lot of us it's just the practices are just beginning to become aware mm. you know we start to to we we start to hit the pause button a little bit more yeah. like and just self inquiry like where what are my intentions 
what do I want to create in the world? You know, just the, it's like just the beginning process of what am I doing (laughs) every day? (laughs) And am I happy? You know, because I think as we begin to learn about ourselves, our unhappiness becomes one of the heavenly messengers. You know, when things aren't working, you know, that that's the beginning of a wake up call. And I think just beginning to do just some general inquiry or maybe going on a really short retreat, even a weekend can be really powerful for people. Just the act of stopping. And it's a good time, you know, for these kind of reflections or coming out of, you know, coming into the new year. That's always a time where people get very inspired, right? It's like, okay, 2020, let's create change. Let's do it differently. So this is a really beautiful time to begin to reflect on how you want to use your life force. What do you want to do with your time here? Very valuable time. It is. Um, and that's great. And I, I, I pretty much offer very, very similar, you know, like start easy, start gentle. But yeah. Start with something that you can commit yourself to, hopefully on a daily basis. You know, if you miss a day, don't throw in the towel. Um, stick with it. It's like, you know, like you mentioned, the new year coming up, um, I go to the gym and I see, you know, the the rise in January and then the trickle <laughs> that begins towards yeah, the February. end of January. Exactly. Because <laughs> we, we want that instant gratification and everything takes time. You know, that's worth it. It really generally takes time. Um, so, you know, something that you talk about in the book that I have struggled with myself and I'm glad you addressed this um, because I'd mentioned a a bit about the fear and it's not all unicorns and rainbows or or you'd mentioned that and and my following up on that is um, how it can be so difficult for us to work with our emotions and our traumatic experiences and you know they're very uncomfortable and can be very frightening Mm -hmm. and as I mentioned about myself you know I'm I'm certainly I nearly died from my own addiction experiences, which I I now understand were simply the fact that I was not willing to start to lay my own heart armor aside and get raw and vulnerable with those uncomfortable places. Um, Because I would be sober for a year or two years or five years, you know, mm. get all this time. But it wasn't until I truly laid that down and was willing to, to go to those places. And for me, uh, a very helpful probably, I mean, just as much as meditation uh, in my own journey has been trauma-based therapy, such as uh, EMDR uh, or Mm. ART. Um, They've been so beneficial, but that's just me. Aside from that, I know you address this in the book, and I would love to hear your perspective and what you would say to, for example, younger Chris, you know, who's like, scared he knows those places are there but it's just it's so frightening to actually shine a light in and take a look um what would you say to to somebody you know that that is in that position and and to be clear i'll be honest i still get in that position to this day there are still Mm. you know my healing journey I, i know will be a lifelong one um i can heal you know, it's just the more therapy and trauma-based therapy I do, I find more things or it's life. So more things happen and we have life experiences. So um, I just want to be clear. I'm not saying I'm any kind of healed, you know, 
totally integrated individual. Um, but I can say that it's so worth the discomfort and, and working with it. So anyways, that was just a side tangent. I would love to hear, though, your, what you would share. Yeah, I mean, I, I so admire anyone who is willing to work through the, the darkness, you know, and experience the dark night or go through um, what they need to do to let go of these energies, especially trauma, which I too, you know, I, I feel like it is so scary sometimes for me too. You know, I, I have the strength to meet it, but when I feel like, uh Oh, there's a big tangle, (laughs) it's like, it's coming up again. And you know, you think, wait, didn't I already deal with this? (laughs) Didn't I already? And then again, there's like residue, you know, in the system as we're moving more and more and more toward the heart based energy, there are these big, tangles you know from our family tree and incidences that have happened and we can work them out on the mental level you know say we go to therapy and we sort it but those energies are still in you know the physical body the emotional body and even the vibrational body you know and we have to kind of be willing to go deeper and deeper Um, I think for a lot of people, you know, having worked with so many people with trauma in Oakland and even on the shamanic side of the work that I do in South America, that's all about trauma and releasing these energies. I think it's really important to just get a lot of support. So I really like what you're doing with the somatic based therapy approach. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a training ground in some way on how to be with these experiences as energy. Yeah. And we really do have to have compassion here. That's no joke. Without the tenderness, um, it's almost impossible to do any real healing work. One has to have a kind of loving approach to working with this on an energetic level. It's pain. And so training in compassion, self-compassion first, I feel like could be a beautiful step for someone who's like, ah, I'm in the thick of it. You know, I don't see any way out. Okay. The way in is going to be through the Brahma Vihara's love, compassion. Like we got to build that as a foundation first and foremost. And that's less scary as an entry point. So well said. And uh, yeah, loving kindness, the meditative practice has been... Mm -hmm. uh, one of the most transformative i mean to the point where i have it tattooed on my hands like i can never not forget um you know thanks to sharon salzberg's work um i know a lot of teachers teach it but hers specifically and it was Mm -hmm. a trip like i think four years ago uh, she shared an article and she used a picture of my hands and i was like oh well that's cool like yeah it was very endearing (laughs) for me because she's been you know such a, a tremendous teacher for me um, but so, yeah, I really appreciate what you said. And, and that too is something I've struggled with and the compassion component. Um, I remember when I was seeing a therapist a few years ago, prior to starting with the trauma based therapy, he made a really good point to me because I do, uh, and I still will struggle with self-compassion at times, mm-hmm. hence that reminder right on my hands. But he said as counterintuitive as this sounds when he was talking to me about the, you know, the ways in which I would go back to self-destructive behavior, like relapsing or whatever other behaviors, you know, I just, I knew weren't self-serving. Um, he, he really helped shine a light on that for me in the sense that, again, saying this will sound counterintuitive, 
but those were actually in a way your unconscious the unconscious chris being compassionate towards himself because you did not know any other way to relieve this amount of pain that you were suffering through yet you've you know you knew from past experience that picking up that bottle or that drug even though it was very temporary would release that pain and he made it clear i'm not saying that you know now go do that again but he's saying when you find yourself beating yourself up over those things that was your neural pathways that was your brain and and that for me really just helped a lot when it came to cultivating more compassion and so i share that just for any listeners you know replace drugs and alcohol with whatever it is in your life um and i hope that's of benefit because that helps me to this day i have to remind myself of these conditioned patterns that we have um it's something i'm sure you know and you write about what you know all too well um and another way of getting in touch with said you know unconscious and, and other patterns and something that can be controversial especially within the buddhist community also in the recovery community is working with um plant-based medicines and from a shamanic perspective um so you know that's something i know that you 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 write about in the book and i would love to hear you talk a bit about that and your experience with that and and the benefits that you've both personally experienced and seen others uh, as a result. Yeah. And I, I do want to say that I'm very sensitive to the recovery community. And I understand that this topic can be confusing, um, even terrifying. Like, where are we going with this? Right, you know, I thought, yeah. you know, and I really, I've always just met that head on the yeah. fifth precept and said, yes, I, I know it is. It is confusing. It right. is, it is, um, you know, maybe even shocking or scary to someone who's in recovery and kind of has has found the Dharma to be such a powerful refuge. Right. And so I just really, really want to honor that complexity yeah. in that perspective and um, and yet still talk about it in terms of healing, because that's what it is. Medicine, healing, transformation. Right. Um, and yeah, my work in Peru came out of me trying to heal my own trauma. That's really all it was about. I was on a three-month course yeah. and with Joseph Goldstein, my lead teacher, doing concentration practice of all things, right. you know, working with the heart, doing a heart-based concentration practice. Yeah. And then all of this old material came up. And, and, you know, as a community of teachers, too, within the insight tradition, we are learning about trauma as we go. What we know now and what we knew 10 years ago, light years. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, this is like, you know, like evolution and yeah. my my sort of meltdown or breakdown on the three month retreat uh, in Massachusetts was 12 years ago. <gasps> and um, nobody knew what was happening, really, you know, and I was in teacher training at that time. So I thought, oh, my God, I need to have all the answers. What's going on? I We had opened our community. I was supposed to be I was supposed to be over that, you know, right. not falling down the rabbit hole but um but that's always funny because you know when we think we've reached something is when the bottom falls out sure. you know once you climb a mountain you fall down and then there's a higher one right in front of you you know that's, that's right. the spiritual journey you know you're <laughs> 
there's no arrival. Right. <laughs> right. It's just, you know, one hill after the next, you yeah. know, so it's like, okay, I thought I had reached the, you know, some kind of, it was great. So I, <laughs> so that's what happened. Really. I, I left a retreat, um, uh, like a week early in a state of complete disassociation. I didn't know it then. Like I understand now yeah. when you really disassociate, you, you go into a panic, you have anxiety, you, you know, it's a terrible feeling when you're not in your body and you're gone and you don't know how to sort of reconnect there. So I just ran into a psychologist friend of mine, you know, when I went back to California and explained everything that was happening. And, and the, what was, what was interesting was the, the Dharma, the, the fact of the, the container of a silent, intense retreat, we know now isn't helpful for trauma. Right. right. That you need contact, actually. And so we learned, right? So we used to tell people, just go sit in the hall, you'll be fine. You know, just be with it. Oh, no, there's some things that you can't, you know, you actually do need that contact, you need that help. So that's what led me to working with plant medicine. And ayahuasca in particular, I was introduced to it by a group of psychologists. And she said, you know, a friend of mine who was a clinical psychologist and had overcome all her own trauma in her family of origin said, you know, I've been working with this plant. And I was like, what? But I was so desperate. You know, I was willing to do anything, swim with dolphins, go to Nepal. You know, I was like, help, you know, like universe. I hit the alarm button, you know, like something's going on and I can't be with it. Somehow my my practices aren't able to help me be in my body in a way I'm, I'm, I'm in territory I've never been before. Um, so that led me to working with it. And then I found enormous um, benefit from it, from kind of moving through these karmic knots. And I started going to Peru and working with indigenous healers. I really wanted to understand the origin right. of the plants and um, and I look at it almost like Ayurvedic medicine or yeah. Chinese medicine, but it's Amazonian medicine, right. plant consciousness medicine. Um, so, and then here I am 12 years later and I, I lead retreats that are Buddhist based. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we do Dharma and when, when then we have these ceremonies. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. I, um, one of the things I've always loved about Buddhism is, um, you know, the churning of the wheels and the, even the Dalai Lama saying, you know, if science ever, you know, shows something or proves something that Buddhism teaches uh, incorrect, you know, we must go with that. And it, it's not like set in stone. Um, and that's, oh, yeah. it's a very fluid moving thing. And I love that. Um and then, you know, I look at recovery, like the 12 step traditions and, um, and I owe a lot to them. I, I'm not an active member, mm-hmm. but I certainly owe a lot. But one thing that they neglected, um, was trauma. They didn't really, they, you know, they dressed a lot and they have saved countless lives. So I have complete respect for them. Um, but you know, I just wasn't finding the trauma component I needed, uh, there, and the other interesting thing I, I found out several years ago was uh, one of the facility, not facilitators, co-creators, Bill W. of um, AA, actually was a proponent for um, uh, not ayahuasca at this point, but um, psychedelics and mm-hmm. saying that there was the potential for great healing 
for certain individuals. And he also talked about uh, the practice and teachings of Buddhism. And I've seen the pamphlets. They were written back in the 40s. But after his death, yeah, they were quickly swept under the rug. (laughs) So, you know, if you do enough digging, you can find them online and they're there. Um, But it's something now, um, you know, both. And that's what I find interesting is in Buddhist circles and recovery circles, you have the fifth precept in Buddhism. And, you know, there's plenty of like staunch teachers that say, you know, no, it's, you know, even a plant medicine. I use that word specifically because I am absolutely pro plant medicine. Um, if it mm. is beneficial to those that are healing, who am I to say anything else? It's their journey, not mine. And same in the recovery community, like anything that alters your mind, you know, they say is is not good for you. It's a drug. But yet again, I, I see people drinking four or five cups of coffee and and, you know, eating 15 cookies and and um and I recognize you know recovery speaking it's an obsessive compulsive mental disorder and that's why I even dropped saying I'm in recovery because I mm. even though I haven't touched a drug or a drink in a long time I will still catch myself um sometimes acting out with food in the same way yeah. for example mm-hmm. you know as I would with drugs so the drugs and the alcohol they're just like symptoms of the actual um issue that that I that I personally live with. So, you know, another side tangent, but I think that I honor that you do that work. I think it's incredible. I've had the fortune of um, speaking with Gabor Mate several times who. Oh, yes. Uh, uh-huh. Yes. He's really, um, you know, I've watched so much, uh, so many of his YouTube videos aside from reading his book and um, just, you know, uh, speaking about plant medicine and the healing um, properties that they have. And, and he says they're not for everyone. Um, he makes that very clear. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but they are for some people. And those, I can tell you, those I know that have taken them. Um, have had very transformative life experiences. So I'm glad that you are, you know, doing what you're doing and, and, you know, honoring your truth and your teaching modalities. I think that's incredible. Um, so for those that are struggling with trauma yet, you know, don't feel called to the plant medicines, um, whether it's out of fear or they just, you know, intuitively internally don't feel called. Um, do you still feel that they can find the necessary healing they're looking for um, elsewhere, like through meditative practices and just trauma-based therapies and things of that nature? Oh, yes. I think there's tremendous value. I mean, I, I feel like I did heal a lot with all the meditation practices that I had done and and still do. I feel like it's an enormous benefit I mean, I can't live my life sanely without meditation and right. yoga. And I don't know how people do it. I yeah, mean, yeah. honestly, I'll just get so lost and, you know. So I heavily rely on my daily dharma dose of everything, yes. all things dharma. So it hasn't replaced that. If anything, my work with the plants have deepened my devotion yeah. to um, living in the present moment, living ethically. So, and also working on trauma through the body, my yoga practice has become a whole nother way of learning embodiment. Yeah. I mean, the thing about the Dharma is it keeps, we keep evolving into it. Yeah. Like I'm still learning about the present moment. I'm still understanding things. Right. 
So, yes, you can do a lot of good. Plant-based medicine is one approach, um, but you can do a lot with all these practices. Retreats are incredibly healing and profound and helpful for for trauma. And so really trust your heart. You know what is going to work for you. And if plant-based medicine feels aligned and you have a deep calling and you're physically able and it's the right moment, great. If you know, or finding these other retreats that are focused on, you know, maybe that you need to work with women's retreat or a men's retreat, or there's also so many beautiful things coming online that that can help you work with your trauma, or maybe just a retreat for LGBTQ. That can be very healing for someone to treat like that, a, a um, affinity-based retreat. So I love all of the options that we have and I utilize them all, you know, very much. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's wonderful. I I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I I think it's like I tell people when I teach or I do my own workshops, you know, they might ask what's, which fellowship do you recommend or which spiritual path? And, you know, very similar. It's what I recommend is what works for you what feels right to you, you you know, like, yes, take the guidance of those who've walked the path and left the light on for us. But, um, you, at the end of the day, you're the only one who's going to know what that path truly is for you. And, and it might not just be one path for your whole life. You know, like you said, you had started it kind of vice versa to Ram Dass, where you started more rooted in the Hindu tradition and moved to Buddhism, where Ram Dass started more in Buddhist and, you know, moved to Hindu and, I love watching him and Sharon sometimes in, in fun, you know, like they'll kind of bicker a little bit back and forth about soul, no soul and, um, you know, things like that. <laughs> but it's always in good fun. And, um, but at the end of the day, you know, they, they too will honor, like Ram Dass says, the, the spiritual path is highly individualized. It's not true that you should follow just one path or, you know, one teaching specifically that's, you know, taught to you from, the time of birth or, or whatever the case. And the one, before I ask you the final question, you did mention working with trauma in your body. And I just want to recommend to readers a wonderful book um, by a gentleman named Bessel van der Kolk called The Body Keeps the Score, which is yeah. Uh, yeah, a fantastic read about traumas and how um, our bodies hold them and ways in which to work with them. It's also on, of course, audiobook if you're not uh, a reader. I couldn't, I can't recommend that strongly enough. Of course, read Spring's book first, A Fierce Heart, but then when you're done with that, uh, Bessel van der Kolk's is a wonderful book to move on to. Um, but so Spring, I know I said earlier that I don't want to get, you know, too political in this conversation, but it, you know, here we are. The the impeachments were just announced. <laughs> it's, right. it's kind of hard not to. Um, you know, I was watching the, the news earlier and, uh, you know, just a quick catch up. All you really need is 10 minutes and you've got like the day's, you know, highlights. Um, but, but the reason I mention that is, you know, in a fierce heart, I, I feel like there's so much that we can learn and bring into our own lives that can help us during these difficult times to work with and be more compassionate towards those that don't necessarily see eye to eye with us, um, even if they aren't giving us the same reciprocal respect. Um, and that's not saying lay down and, and, you know, allow yourself to be taken advantage of or, or, you know, bullied or anything of that nature, but um, helping, you know, to just 
take a more compassionate approach towards the situation as a whole and individually when it arises. Um, so, you know, how can cultivating the fierce heart, which we've talked about, help us work with these political times that we're currently <laughs> living in and and those that are, you know, that don't see eye to eye to us? Because personally, you know, my I have family that... Um, you know, is on the other side. and uh, <laughs> Right, you know, we, I we gotcha. Just, yeah, we agree not to talk about it and leave it at that, but that's not always the healthiest thing. So anyways, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I mean, it's, it's such a, this topic is so up, right? Thanksgiving yeah. dinner tables yeah. and, you know, it has divided families. Yes. Oh my gosh, yeah. even relationships, oh, you know, yeah. where you have two people married on very different sides of the, of the belief spectrum and, 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 you know, it's really astonishing the times that we're living in. Yeah. I mean, you know, impeachment and yeah. um, it's probably going to get really bad now. I mean, yeah. we thought it was, <laughs> we thought it was hard before, you know, we're coming up to elections and the year uh -huh. out or, you know, <laughs> it's just going to probably be a political bloodbath. Yes. So that being said, wow, you know, we're witnessing we learn, you know, and I, a big part of my work is like all, all life is school yeah. and everything is our teacher. Yeah. Like how is this, you know, we're going to witness a battle, a battle between people, a battle for ideas, a battle for the country and policy. And, and yeah, it's really challenging. And how do we work with that without getting caught up in the fray and the negativity and the fear? I think a lot of it is fear. Yeah. You know, and so I want to encourage people to be mindful of the stories of fear. Like, what does this all mean? You know, what's going to happen? Because we can start preparing for the end of days, you know, on an emotional level. But can we trust that all of these things are cycles, you know, and yeah. we're in an epic storm. You yeah. know, we came out of a beautiful eight year cycle. Wasn't perfect, not at all. But for a lot of people, we kind of, it, it was the, you know, rainbows and, <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. You know, it was a fairy tale, you yes, know? And yes. so we all just coasted along on that. And, you know, again, not perfect. It never is in samsara. Right. Yeah. This is samsara. It's inherently, you know, a system that's broken. And in that brokenness, there's the perfection of we can use these conditions to wake up. Yeah. You know, so that's what I look at it like, wow, these are the perfect conditions for let's let's wake up here. You know, I, I love that wonderful perspective. I couldn't agree more. Um, those were a wonderful eight years that are dearly missed. Um, going back <laughs> a little bit before those eight years, I was joking <laughs> with my fiance. I think it was like two nights ago. Did you ever think pre Obama you would ever be living in an era where you would look back and say, Gosh, I miss George W. Bush. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you... He seems so beautiful and rational. I know. I've had a similar thought. Yeah. You know? um, but it's historic what we're witnessing. It you is. know, it's, it will be in the, in the books. Yes. <laughs> you know, something I've heard said, and I don't know where to credit it, is that chaos precipitates great change. And I hope as long as we don't blow ourselves up first, you know, we live to see this beautiful change. And um, if anything, I think of my, my nieces and, and the children truly like, um, you know, the ones that are coming after us, you know, what are we, what like, not even legacy, what 
kind of life what kind of planet are we going to leave them with and um again that's why the work you're doing um i i bow deeply to that and you know the 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 center that you created and just everything your presence is bringing to this world and and others like Uh. yourself uh it's it's so needed and and so at least from you know from me to you i i thank you sincerely for that and i also want to uh let listeners know that you know we i i think this was a lovely conversation and i appreciate your raw candidness and the fact that we just you know really organically went at it um <laughs> and we definitely did address a lot of what's in spring's book but there is so much more we barely scratched the surface and so in the spirit of that i did just want to briefly read um on the back jacket uh first of all this book is available through hay house which means you can find it anywhere books are sold and again we'll have the link if you're on the be here now website but just to give an overview of the book quickly in a fierce heart um spring shares her contemporary unique interpretation of the buddha's 2500 year old teachings that get to the heart of mindfulness wisdom and compassion woven throughout the book are stories from her life family and community along with soulful and unexpected stories of compassion and action from all over the world. The life-saving teachings of this charismatic teacher are universal. Her honesty, enthusiasm, and energy are a bomb. And I don't know who wrote that for you, but my hat is off to them because they nailed it. Truly. That was Jack, actually. Oh, that oh, that was from Jack's Forward? I think so. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, well... That's beautiful then. Um, Nice. Well done, Jack. Well done. Um, So anyways, that book uh, or this book, A Fierce Heart, I can't recommend it enough. Again, it is available everywhere books are sold. Um, Scroll down. You can click the link and uh, both Spring's website as well as um, the one for her Lotus Vine Journeys will be there. Um, Spring, anything that you wanted to leave our listeners with it? we didn't cover in this conversation that you just wanted to get in there at the last moment. Yeah, I would just tell the listeners, you know, that again, this is the this is the way of the heart, this whole path, and how can we stay connected to our love, our compassion, and to really take those practices on. I, I without those practices, I, I couldn't do anything. Mm. So you might want to switch to maybe working very intensively with a self-love practice, self-compassion practice in these times. Um, yeah, and just remembering your community. Like-minded friends on the path is everything. Yeah. So stay connected to your sangha. I love that. Absolutely. That's another big one I tell people. Never go it alone, no matter yes. what. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So important. <laughs> well, I'm glad. What a perfect note to end on, Spring. Again, thank you for your everything that you are doing in this world. And thank you for this book that I am sure has already helped countless people and will continue to do the same. So uh, your time, greatly appreciated. And I can't wait for listeners to hear this. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, 
family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now.